Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West. And you're listening to As I Am. So excited today to be sitting down with David Chow. I'm actually a little bit starstruck. I feel like I've seen you on my TV screen um, and it's weird to see you on Zoom. So that's really exciting. Um, if you guys don't know, David Chow presents finance segments on the ABC News channel and is a multi-platform business reporter in Sydney. Prior to joining the ABC, though, he was actually a lawyer specializing in litigation. How are you, David? It's so good to see you today. Oh, good. Thanks, Isabella. How are you doing on this fine day? I'm doing really well. As, as I said, I'm, I feel very like starstruck and Jeff and I were just talking before, but I feel like your voice, it has such a news presenter <laughs> resonance to it. And yeah, it's amazing. It's so polished. Oh, I feel like so I'm getting interviewed right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know guys, this is uh, all of our relaxed chats, you know, nothing to worry about. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's good. I mean, you know, to kick us off, um, I'd love to hear about your story and your journey. Can you tell us a little bit about that career journey and and how you came to be a reporter for ABC News. Yeah, look, how I became a reporter, I, I guess a lot of luck came into it. I kind of fell into it, uh, which is probably not very helpful for people wanting tips on how to enter the industry. So, look, my journey of how I entered reporting has got to do mainly with how much I hated my previous profession, law. I really didn't enjoy <laughs> being a lawyer. So after practicing for a few years, I just got fed up and I quit. And then I didn't have a backup plan. I didn't really know what to do. I just knew what I didn't want to do. Uh, so then I decided to give myself a year and try all sorts of random jobs to see what I might like for a trial and error approach. I tried everything from, oh, one night at, uh, you know, Jamie Oliver's restaurant, which didn't go so well. Uh, <laughs> I also <laughs> worked at uh, grocery stores. Yeah. I also tried kids' birthday parties. Obviously, stuff that is... Uh, doesn't require a law degree. I was just having some fun doing all sorts of random jobs. Even had a brief stint at the casino. No, I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> it's so wide and varied. It's so interesting. Yeah, look, I was having a bit of fun trying to work out what to do. And then I just thought, hey, you know, since it's my year of trying random odd ideas, why don't I give presenting a go? You know, try and get into the media industry. I thought it was a long shot and it, it is very hard to get into. So why not? So then I on Google, found a presenting instructor who trained me up. Fortunately, she was very connected and she got me my first job uh, in media before ABC. So it was a small online business channel, which had a very niche kind of audience, not a very big viewership. So I was able to get in after they screen tested me and put me through this finance quiz, which I studied really hard for. You know, before going in there, never studied that hard in my life, not even in my uni days. Um, and look, I was fortunate to have gotten into that online business channel. And after doing that for one year, I thought, hey, why don't I try uh, moving mainstream? It wouldn't hurt. So then, uh, you know, I started cold calling a lot of networks. And fortunately, I rang the ABC business unit at a good time, just as somebody was quitting their job. Yeah, you know, there was an opening that, uh, you know, opened up. So then, you know, right place, right time. But then at the same time, you know, you do create your own luck by just persisting and cold calling and getting rejected a hundred times. 
And yeah, look, that's how I got into the ABC. That's what I mean by I was a little bit lucky. No regrets quitting law and joining ABC. It's the best job I've had in life so far. Oh, oh my God, that's fantastic. I'm actually about to enter the corporate law industry, so <laughs> oh. I don't know if this is a sign that I should get out before <laughs> no, I No, no, good luck, Isabella. I'm sure you'll do a lot better as a lawyer than I did. <laughs> We're going to see you on our screen soon as well in a couple of years' time. <laughs> Isabella's going to be reporting. Um, David, I have a quick question about the presenting coach. So what do you actually learn with a presenting coach? Yeah, so uh, in this course, uh, yeah, I was trained by this lady uh, called Sharon Lynn. She put us through this very intense uh, short course where, you know, she gives you all these scripts, uh, gives you a technique on how to remember lines quickly, and then puts you through, you know, different genres. So you trial, you know, new style, infomercials, red carpet, like all sorts of, you know, from serious to not so serious presenting styles. So she works out what genre fits you best. And then, you know, she also gave me some advice, like based on my previous legal uh, background that I might be perceived as someone who's credible. Okay, she says so. Why not? I'll go mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. So just stick to your strengths and stick to your previous background. And, you know, she also gave, I guess, career advice on what kind of uh, media might suit me. So in my case, mm. serious news stuff. Yeah. All right. I love that. Yeah. Do you ever find that your voices blend into how you speak? normally or has that just become your voice now because sometimes I feel like I have a podcast voice and then when people meet me in real life maybe they're disappointed because I I tend to like pitch up a little (laughs) bit I'll go like like it's it's a little bit more varied but now I'm like I speak a little bit deeper do you ever feel that the voices clash or have they just become one like your news voice is your normal voice now you know, this is my normal voice. This is how I've always spoken. This is how, you know, I sound when I order a coffee. You were born for this. <laughs> you were born for this. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know how, you know, I have this strange voice. I mean, like, uh, yeah, look at me even, you know, years ago, you know, when I went on dates, they're like, hey, can you turn off that news voice? I'm like, uh, no, I can't. This is how I sound. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, some people found that a bit strange, so... I don't know. No, no it's it's good. excellent. It literally is just perfect. Oh, thanks, guys. That, that's oh, right. yeah. That's, the cadence is. It's the yeah. cadence. Yeah, that's, and, that's and it's exactly not, it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's not like comical. I feel like often a lot of like news reporting. Is, I don't know. Maybe it's like an American thing, but I feel like you can easily tell when someone is putting on like a a news reporter voice. That's that's kind of like a bit comical. Um, but I feel like yours, David, is yeah. Perfect pitch. Oh, so cheers, I love it. guys. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Very kind of you to say. I had aspirations to be a newsreader actually at some point when I was in, I think when I was 11. So I had this like mini show at primary school where I'd wear dad's suit oh. and it's like the, the shoulders would be all the way out here and you'd like report from the playground. There should be videos of it somewhere that my parents have on VHS. So oh, maybe we'll so try to take one of those up as content. Oh, please <laughs> send it over. I would love to see that. You in an oversized <laughs> Oh, and I was like a little fat Asian kid as well. It would have been oh, amazing. So content. cute. <laughs> um, I guess like another quick question about getting into your current role. What does that interview process look like? You mentioned there's like screen testing and all that sort of stuff. Can you give us a, a look at what that sort of process looks like oh okay look i guess it's uh you know different from job to job i mean i've uh you know tried out with various uh, news organizations i so sometimes they give you say a general knowledge quiz to prepare for that you need to have read a lot i did have a peek at the abc news quiz uh the other day you know the quiz they give to people trying to join the organization and 
you know, they have sport questions, they have finance questions, like what's the Aussie dollar doing today? So it's very hard to score 100% mm. uh, because no one's really yeah. across yeah. everything. But, you know, there are a lot of political news questions and some news organizations have questions like, okay, here are some names of people. Who are they? So, you know, CEOs of various companies, uh, presidents and prime ministers of various countries. So I guess to prepare for a news general knowledge test, uh, yeah, you would have to watch, read and listen to the news you know, for quite a long period of time to get prepared. And I guess there's also a screen test, like they'll put you at the news desk and then you can, you know, read from an auto cue and then they can see how natural you feel, put you through a mock radio uh, broadcast. So I guess they give you a radio script, you read it. Uh, If you make a mistake, don't say, oh, damn, can I start again? Just plow on as if this was real life. Uh, So look, I guess it varies from news organization to news organization. But look, you know, if I were to generalize from what I've seen, that's basically what they do. They give you a knowledge test that's written, sometimes short answers, as well as a screen test on TV and radio. Yeah. Mm, Very interesting. I love love watching news bloopers. Have you seen the one where... um, I think it's like some talk show in America. It was really early on and they like, they've, she's she's live on air and she's just looking at the camera and she goes like, I sell pale. <laughs> <laughs> and her co-host is just like nudging her, just like, and she like flicks straight into it, like super professional. Straight away. Like, no, I know exactly <laughs> the one you're talking about, Jeff. It's, yeah, it's pretty funny. No, that's so interesting, David. I feel like this is an industry that I, I think often a lot of people don't know too much about, like obviously, and it's interesting because news reporting is a very interesting medium in so far as, you know, it's something that we all have access to. And I think in particular, you know, Australian news anchors are often viewed as a source of trustworthiness and to an extent reflect, quote unquote, an Australian identity that is very much white centric in Australia, right? And I'm quite curious to understand whether you ever felt as if your identity has ever been challenged in this industry as an Asian Australian man, you know, have there been any difficult barriers that you've had to kind of break through? Well, yeah, you are right, Isabella. I guess when you look at the street and you look at what you're seeing on TV, the news presenters, news reporters, you know, it's not necessarily reflective, right? I guess, you know, it is very Anglo-centric. Some networks are more so than others. It doesn't reflect the diverse ethnicities you see on the street, any street you walk down. So I guess when I started, yeah, I guess it was a little bit tricky because I guess my organization, they weren't used to seeing that many Asian faces. So people didn't really get my name right. Uh, There was this other guy working at the ABC who had a similar, well, his surname was Chow. Uh, First name different, Chow spelled differently. And then everyone referred to me by his, or not everyone, but quite a few people did. It's like, oh, hi, other Chow. And, uh, you know, I just thought, okay, cool. Uh, They assume... I'm the other guy, you know, I guess uh, some people do have trouble telling Asians apart, I have learned, uh, you know, especially when you're not so established. But, you know, as the years go by and you develop your body of work, I see you on TV more, you start to differentiate yourself a bit more. So I don't really have that issue anymore. You know, people do know what my name is now that I've worked in the biz for quite a few years. In terms of barriers, look, I, I suppose... I hadn't done journalism school. I didn't go through the conventional way. So I guess, you know, people were naturally skeptical about what I could bring to the table. They started to take me a bit more seriously, you know, a year into it when I did my first expose, which was, you know, about Uber Eats. Like someone had leaked uh, its contract with me and I was able to draw my legal background to identify, wow, this is an extremely unfair contract. 
And it was an exclusive that I did that was widely reported on at the time, like after I broke the story. And um, it did lead to the ACCC announcing investigation into Uber Eats contract. So I think, you know, after you break uh, a big story like that, people do start to take you more seriously, especially when you're very junior and you hadn't come from a traditional journalism background. Yeah, no, that that is super interesting. And I don't know, I mean, can you speak to the state of representation in your organization at the moment when it comes to that diversity. And, you know, I think often when we talk about diversity, it lacks intersectionality. It's very much just gender diversity and then it's just race diversity. But I feel like often these, you know, barriers don't often intersect. And even when it comes to things like, you know, sexuality or disability, do you feel as if the state of representation in your organization and in the industry in particular is getting better, um, especially, you know, considering like how you've kind of seen the industry evolve in the last years or so. I'm curious to kind of see how that has changed or if it hasn't actually. You know, I'm going to say ABC, in my opinion, is doing very well in the diversity game. Like we have a lot of diverse ethnic presenters, employees of different sexual orientations, gender identities, disabilities. Like it's something the ABC is very keen on improving and you know, when we do stories, like we're very much focused on trying to get good gender representation as well. As much as possible, we strive for 50-50 male and female talent when we interview people. And, you know, it's something we talk about a lot. So it is top of the mind of the ABC. So I'm proud to say the ABC is doing well on the diversity front. And certainly, you know, in my opinion, seems to be doing a lot better than the industry average. But look, across all the networks, I think I get the feeling there is an attempt to try to make their broadcasts across the board, you know, more reflective of what you see on the street in everyday life. There are definitely attempts to improve. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think for us, like we've always talked about, you know, the importance of representation. And I think it's media that just goes beyond, you know, films and books and plays. I think it comes down to the everyday you know, news reporting, right? Like the kind of the average Joe and what they'd watch. And I think news is a really interesting medium to kind of have that sort of representation. Um, so I'm really glad to hear that at least in your organization, you do see that there is that improvement. Um, and we don't really hope that's a generational thing and that it would improve. But I don't know. I think I'm also a little bit cynical about these things sometimes. But again, hearing it from you, you know, as a inside source, I think um, gives me a little bit of hope. <laughs> and also, I got to add something. Um, the counter argument is, I mean, let's peel from Asian backgrounds, you know, where I'm from, where you're from. So, you know, these tend to be more conservative cultures as well. So maybe people from Asian backgrounds might not be inclined to apply for these kind of yeah. media roles. Like, I guess their parents certainly yeah. might push me towards, you know, more traditional career paths like law, medicine, corporate life. And perhaps that could also be a symptom of people looking at the media out there and thinking, hey, this doesn't really reflect me. We don't see that many ethnic people on the news. So, hey, maybe career paths are a bit limited. So, hey, you probably better not go down that career path. So, you know, that could be another aspect of it too. Oh, 100%. And actually quite curious, how did your kind of family react to you switching from the law industry in particular, that's very quote unquote traditional and conventional to something like journalism? Was that well received or was there a bit of resistance to that? Yeah, it was a tough sell. Yeah. (laughs) Well, look, eventually it was well received, not initially. So I quit my job and didn't tell my family until I served out my four week notice period. And then I just... (laughs) showed up to my mom on a weekday and said, hi, mom. Hey, I'm unemployed now. I quit my job. She's like, what? Yeah, I waited out my notice period. So 
you know, you wouldn't try to stop me or try to talk me out of it. <laughs> so, yeah, my parents were pretty annoyed about that yeah. and especially annoyed during my periods of unemployment afterwards or trying out all these jobs that, uh, well, that they saw as beneath me, uh, mm. which weren't serious jobs. But I guess eventually mm. when I did get accepted into, you know, a media organisation and started to rebuild a new career, they were more accepting of it. And, yeah, they're, they're happy about what I do now. But yeah, it took them a while to come around. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, I, I totally would understand. Like from their, you know, perspective, I think it's it's very much just this idea of security, right? And you know, I think it's it's obviously a huge risk to quit a very stable job, right, and to jump into something um, that you wanted to do and to explore. And I'm um, yeah, I'm really glad to hear that. You know, it's worked out. I mean, do they take screenshots of you on the TV and just send it around in like the <laughs> WeChat groups? Or they're like, the WeChat. <laughs> yeah. My son's on the air. Yeah, it happens sometimes. My mum does get uh, messages from her friends like, hey, look, I saw your son on TV. And then she sends it to me. I'm like, great, mum, that is me. Yes, I know what I look like. But thank you. <laughs> Did you tie, David? <laughs> no, I, I love that. I feel like as you get older, your parents tend to trust you a little bit more. I think the conversations I have when I go home and see my parents now, it's less so like worry and more so just not necessarily worry about my career as much. It's more so just like personal health. They're just mm. like, oh, are you sleeping enough? Are you eating enough? All that sort of stuff. I think they've gotten to a point where it's like, oh, he's he's fine. Mm. Like he can sort of work it out. That being said, I have not quit my job Phew. and become unemployed for a period <laughs> of time. So that could very quickly change. But I feel like the conversations we have have sort of moved away. Like it feels a bit more on a level ground in terms of that relationship. Mm. You know how I feel like when you're younger, it's, they're up here. They're always like talking down to you. Now I feel like we're sort of speakers mm. equals, which has been yeah. a really nice development. Um, but like a quick question for you, David. So is your job a nine to five by any means? Like what do the hours look like? What does a typical day look like for you? And how much preparation is required for those few minutes on screen? Oh, Jeff, there is no typical day. A lot can change <laughs> in 24 hours and you can be called on short notice to do something you hadn't planned to do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was one time where I finished doing a story very late. This was like, oh, I don't know. I finished it at 10 p.m. And then this was at the start of the last COVID wave in New South Wales, the Delta outbreak. And then the news breakfast state reporter had to isolate and they really had nobody else. And they asked me to come on short notice. So I didn't really sleep very much that night or at all. And then had to be up at 5 a.m. the next morning back to back. And then, look, I, I guess it depends. Like sometimes I'm on certain days I'm rostered to write articles. So that could be like a 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. day or 9 to 5. On some days I'm presenting finance segments. Uh, that's kind of a 9 to 5 day. You know, you show up for hair and makeup, prepare as much as possible, and then do hourly finance updates. And then on other days, they call me more, you know, more recently to come on the weekend to you know, present news bulletins, uh, you know, because the usual presenter isn't available. So, you know, very chuffed that they considered me as a, a fill-in. Yeah. yeah. And like, how does it work in terms of I mean, obviously, you're your business reporter now. Like, is there room to move around and just be a general news reporter or are people kind of generally confined to a particular area of the news? Yeah, I get what you're saying. People aren't necessarily pigeonholed. I mean, one of the American correspondents for the ABC, uh, he used to be a presenter for the show The Business and uh, he also worked at 7.30. Yeah, that's one example I can think of, like someone who tried a lot of different things. 
some people move from radio to TV. Some people move to podcasts. Like, uh, there's a lot of movement within the ABC. So I don't feel uh, people are pigeonholed per se. That certainly hasn't been my experience. Oh, that's great. No, that's great. that's great. What are some myths that you can debunk for us? Because as you can probably tell, we're very curious about your job because it's, as Isabel was saying, it's something that everyone's exposed to at some point in their lives, but probably know very little about in terms of what the process, what the days look like. What are some very common myths that you can just debunk for us? All right. Well, the first thing that comes to mind, we're not wearing shorts under the desk. We're wearing long pants <laughs> versus <laughs> appropriate formal wear. And, uh, you know, for good reason too, because sometimes a camera operator switches to a long shot and then a close-up. So like, for those long shots, you really do need long pants. So, you know, thankfully, I've never been compelled to wear shorts on air. <laughs> yeah. I've actually never heard that rumor. Is that driven by truth? Like, has it happened at some point? They've done the long shot and some guy's just wearing shorts and it's like, ooh. <laughs> I've seen that before. It happened last year at the BBC uh, in Britain where it was really hot. <laughs> air conditioner must not have been working or something but the news presenter you know he looks all proper in frame and then they switch for long shot and he is wearing shorts it, it's easy to dig up the clip on google like bbc uh news presenter shorts <laughs> it has happened it does happen yeah do you reckon the news will ever move away from formal wear much like i guess a lot of industries mm. have sort of become a little bit more casual like do you think the news will ever move in that direction or do you think formal wear is always going to be the standard Oh, uh, look, I mean, a degree of formal wear, I think, would be the standard. Uh, you know, I, I guess if you look back 20 years ago, everyone wore a tie. I mean, especially if they were a male presenter, but uh, that doesn't happen all the time now. Just look at, uh, you know, breakfast programs. They tend to be without a tie there. Mm. Yeah, it's mainly the breakfast programs that are more casual, but that's not to say it could broaden out as well. And, you know, when I am out on the field, you know, reporting you know, stories for the 7 p.m. news or the business program, I tend to go without a tie as well to differentiate, you know, in studio, uh, you know, on the field work. So mm. like, it is getting a bit more yeah. casual, I will say. But I think at the very least, you're probably expected to wear a collared shirt and something that's, you know, smart casual yeah. at the minimum. I imagine that would just be because of the fact that, like, you're often reporting about, you know, quite serious things. And I think, you know, with those kind of topics that do arise, especially given the you know, ongoing conflicts right now, I think there's some degree of formality that is kind of warrants that respect that these topics do deserve. Yeah, but I'm also quite curious, like, in terms of this, you know, myth debunking, do you have a script or, like, do you memorise a script or is there, like, a reader or like an auto kind of cue thing that you kind of read off of like how does that presentation actually come to fruition yeah sure so news anchors they have bulletins uh, that they have to read and uh, the source of the text is the auto cue so they're reading the auto cue most of the time and you know there is a very important reason for that it's also to keep track of time because you know every few words represents like a few seconds of time so the camera operators need to keep track of time so that they can end the bulletin at the right time and then go to a break. So, you know, that's a reason why auto cues are used uh, for consistency. Uh, I do use an auto cue for my finance segments because there's a lot of info to remember. Uh, so I do, you know, type my script beforehand. I do a lot of research on what's happening with the financial markets. And then I just... Uh, do some, either the whole script or just some dot point just to jog my memory as I'm facing the camera reading. And, uh, you know, but sometimes I differ, I, I depart from that format. So, you know, when I'm not delivering straight to the camera, I might be chatting to 
the anchor. And then since it's uh, supposed to be a casual conversation, I don't have a script I'm relying on per se. I have some dot points on a piece of paper in front of me and then I'm just rattling off that and occasionally uh, looking at uh, it to jog my memory of what I need to cover. Yeah, interesting. And do you do much on the field reporting? Like how does your time balance between being a news anchor and also going out into the field? Yeah, that doesn't happen super often, i got to say, the on-the-field reporting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most of the time I'm either writing articles or presenting finance in the studio, mm. in the air conditioning at the studio. <laughs> Sometimes when they're really short, they send me out there to you know, interview people uh, for the purpose of like, doing a story for the 7 p.m. news or you know some current affairs program that maybe happens uh, ooh, a few times a year. So it's fun to get out there once in a while, provided the weather is okay. Yeah, yeah, I would be <laughs> terrible yeah. Yeah. as a reporter on the streets. I sweat so much, <laughs> and you just be like, I'll be like interviewing someone or presenting some sort of segment, and you just see like just slowly, gradually, <laughs> just these stance. I'd, I'd be terrible. Yeah, I'm probably not. I'm probably the right. No, you'd be great at it. You told me that you'd been doing it since you were a kid, right? But on those VHS tapes, you started early. Uh, that was pre-puberty, though, when all the anxiety <laughs> developed. And, like, if I had to... It's taken me a while to, you know, get over this recording with a mic situation. I just couldn't imagine a big-ass camera in front of me, like, stuck in my face and be like, oh, God. Yeah, do you get nervous, David? Or is it very is it very smooth now? Oh, look, it's a lot smoother now compared to before. I, you know, to be fair, the camera is a fair distance from you, so it's not in your face. So you don't have to worry about that. And, uh, well, you forget that it's even there when you've been doing it for a while I guess uh, and you know usually you're chatting to the news anchor as well so it's a free-flowing conversation so yeah look I guess practice makes perfect and I guess the only time it gets really nerve-wracking is when there's breaking news and I have to get up there with like a few minutes notice and talk about something that I haven't you know, done as much research on because I haven't had time to digest it. So yeah, I guess that's probably the main nerve-wracking situation that can arise. You know, like Russia invades Ukraine. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Time to get laughs> on. Okay. Oh wow. I wish I had more time to look at this, but there just isn't time. Yeah. That's the nature of a live news broadcast. Yeah. So you just say what you know, recount the background for the audience who hasn't been following it so closely. So it's that's why it's good to try and be on top of everything and do a lot of reading you know, in your day-to-day life of the news. And then for the next uh, hour, you'll be even more prepared. Mm-hmm. That's good. Something I'm quite curious about as well, I think obviously the last two years, you know, it's been quite challenging for a lot of people. And I think just given the COVID and given the floods and given Ukraine and just there's been a lot going on. And I often find that, you know, I'm an avid news reader. I like to stay in tune with everything that's happening in the world. I listen to podcasts a lot, The Daily, shout out to the New York Times. I love it. But, you know, I often find that I can get quite overwhelmed by the news and I feel like I sometimes need to just shut it off and just not consume anything for a weekend, for a couple of days, because it just gets a bit too much. I mean, just, you know, in terms of your mental health and kind of not being overloaded with a lot of news, because, you know, it can get overwhelming. And I think for a lot of people, it can get quite stressful. How do you deal with that? And are there particular ways that you mitigate against, you know, any potential stress or anxiety that you get from this overconsumption of the news because it is part of your job? Well, I mean, I feel okay. I really enjoy what I do. And, you know, I would read the news in my spare time anyway. So, you know, that works out well for me. Uh, Even on holiday, I'm following things very closely. But yeah, you're right. There is, 
yeah, there's so much media out there, you know, over saturation, arguably, it is hard to switch off. So look, I guess that's why it's important to, you know, take holidays once in a while, I guess, I guess that's tough to do during COVID times as well, because there's really not a lot of interesting stuff you can do on your holidays. Now we can travel again, but you know, it's hard to tell what the COVID situation is like overseas. Things could change very quickly. So yeah, look, I, I guess the best we can do right now, if uh, we're not game enough to travel overseas, just take some time out of work. If you're feeling burnt out or you know close to burnout and just, you know, it's good to just do nothing once in a while, just tune out, watch Netflix, uh, you know, read some books for leisure. You know, a lot of us don't really have the time for that these days, but, you know, it's good to make time for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think like going off that COVID uh, topic, David, there's obviously been, for, for us as well, we're, we're sort of new to the podcasting thing, but I think during this period of time, there's been a lot of new, I guess, non-traditional media channels or or non-traditional mediums that have sort of come to fruition and become a lot more popular so podcasts probably the main one but uh, i'd be keen to understand like in your opinion what does the future of australian media look like do you think it's going to follow this traditional path of just being on tv or do you think people are going to diversify a little bit more into other mediums as well yeah i absolutely think there will be more diversification i mean Fewer and fewer people are sitting down at the appointed time, 6pm or 7pm or 5pm to watch a news bulletin or fewer people are sitting there at 8.30 to watch the movie or the show. They can always stream at any time they want. So people don't have the time or the patience for that anymore. So one thing I noticed that news organisations like Reuters do, you can curate your own bulletin. So, you know, they give you a list of stories. You can just click what you want to watch and in what order. So I think maybe that's one way television news could change. You could watch it on your computer or your tablet or your phone and select what stories you want and customize it. So look, I guess the risk of that is it might reinforce echo chambers and bubbles as you only people when given the choice would only want to look at what they're interested in. And, you know, it could be broad. It could be narrow depending on the person. So especially like if you have the option of opting out of finance or weather or sport, these are things you won't incidentally consume uh, compared to if you, you know, sat down and watched the news bulletin from start to finish. So I think more people will get their news from podcasts as well. Uh, yeah, it's an increasingly popular medium as well as social media, like maybe Instagram reels, uh, TikTok even. You know, there might be you know, 15 second summaries of big news stories that, that might become an increasingly popular thing. But you know, I guess you would miss out on a lot of depth and nuance uh, if you have 15 seconds to tell a story. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. My, so my little sister is 14 and she obviously is an avid TikTok user. And it was so like I remember during like the Biden Trump election, it was so disconcerting. Oh, not disconcerting, but, you know, obviously as a kid, I didn't expect her to just be attuned with like the political state. Um, especially the US elections, and she'd be like, oh, TikTok, I just watched this TikTok where, like, you know, Trump's winning all these states, like, what's going to happen? <laughs> like, and, it, you know, it, it's so funny, like, these things are very accessible now, but obviously there are particular risks with that. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think what your point is very interesting. And I'm curious to understand, like, what's your kind of ambition? Like, are you quite keen on sticking with news anchoring or do you see yourself at some point venturing off to do kind of other mediums or have your own thing? 
Oh, look, I would uh, love to stay at the ABC as long as they're willing to have me here. Um, it is honestly the best job I've had in life. It's really exciting. Every day is different. And I've got the best colleagues. You know, they're a lot of fun. And, you know, they always have my back and I have their back as well. You know, business news has been very good to me and I'm very interested in that. So, look, I'd love to keep doing what I'm doing. And, you know, it's nice that uh, they're considering me for other things like fill-in shifts doing you know alternative duties you know i wouldn't mind looking more into that and it has been fun to be like a guest anchor of the news on the weekend when they need a fill-in so look i'd love to keep doing business news but i'd also like to keep trying new things uh, when opportunities arise and especially when people are isolating and they need someone yeah. to step in yeah would you try podcasting yeah. I feel like I feel like you'd be really good at podcasting. You'd have the best podcast voice. Oh my god. Started. You know, we, we should swap jobs. Can I have your job, guys? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do it. We'll, we'll do a swap. I'm sure the ABC would love that. Bring on some random guys. <laughs> Zero experience love to read the finance news. Uh, Zero experience, but you'll be great. You'll be great. I'll uh, I'll uh, you know, train you up, and uh, you'll get some pointers. And then I can do your job and interview right, you. I'll let you know. I'll let you know when I reach a crisis in law and I'll hit you up, David. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll switch. We'll go to jail. <laughs> well, look, uh, I hope you guys are happy in your jobs. Oh, you know, I hope you guys do a lot better in the corporate world than I did. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not for everyone. Uh, that's what I found. But, hey, you know, someone needs to do mm. it. And if you can succeed in it, well, well done. TBC. Yeah, and... Final question. If you could have anyone on this podcast, who would you have? If I could interview anybody on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Or yeah. recommend them to join this podcast or jump on. Yeah. Sorry to put you on. Oh, this is like a serious <laughs> question. It's not like a, who would you invite to dinner and you can just fantasize and about <laughs> any mythical figure. Oh, I think we could mean, do could that be. as well. We I mean, if well. it's like, you know, dead or alive, preferably alive. So <laughs> maybe we can get them on. Okay. Look, I, I guess, you know, on the spot. Uh, he's not very attainable, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> oh, oh. Ooh, delve into that. Yeah, How he's, come? Just, he's just had a fascinating life because, you know, he yeah. has, uh, you know, achieved success in so many fields against the odds. Like this poor boy from Austria, mm. you know, post-World War II, to be a bodybuilder. He trains hard and then he becomes Mr. Universe several times. And then he wants to become a movie star, even though it's questionable how good his acting is. And then he succeeds and makes millions being an actor and then you know he's able to just career change so well and into politics as well and become a governor of california it's just that the way he reinvents himself over and over throughout his career is kind of you know awe-inspiring yeah wow i actually didn't even know that yeah that's really cool. oh he has changed so much in high school i wanted to be like a bodybuilder and so like his physique, that like golden era of bodybuilding. And you watch all those old videos of him. He really has. And then Terminator. <laughs> That's a great one. He does the most. Well, look, we'll yeah. track it up as PR person. We'll see if we can, we'll see if we can get Arnold Schwarzenegger on the podcast. Um, maybe in a few years' time we can say that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, hey, you got to aim high. You never know what you, you'll get. <laughs> hundred percent. Well, thank you so much, David. It's been an absolute delight getting to know you and, you know, finding out more about your career and just, you know, the general state of diversity in Australian media. So thank you so much again for coming on. Um, it's been an absolute delight. Well, thanks very much for having me onto the show. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks so much, David. And uh, if you guys enjoyed the show, make sure you give us five stars wherever you stream. Otherwise, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. See you later. Bye for now. Bye.